A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 264 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, as well as canon, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and even Spotify, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman, and with me like the ever-presence of light and dark side forces of the Force, the doctor of timelines and a Wookiee-sized Star Wars fan in his own right, our own Dr. Jim Lehane! Dark and light side forces of the force. Did, uh, yeah, did, uh, yeah. Did, yeah like did, it. That's uh, <laughs> that was that was smooth. It's like I had um, rewritten my master's thesis for publication, and I read one sentence where I reused the same word like six times in the same sentence, and I'm like, wow, this is uh, this is solid writing right here. <laughs> <laughs> man and, and we'll get into it a little later in the book but uh i noticed that you know in legends when it comes to the light and the dark there have always been themes uh with how it's been interpreted and stuff and there were some things that kind of jumped forward in some of the dialogue that i'm like hmm that's a little odd that a jedi in this golden age of jedi would think that but <laughs> but it always gets me back to that whole duology of the Force, man. Like, you ever remember when uh, uh, the New Jedi Order, when we had uh, Verger or, or Viger or however you want to say her name, when she pulled the whole, there is no dark side. You're just like, what? And the fans went ape. <laughs> well, they're, they're, it, if you shine a bright enough light, it destroys the dark. Except that's not how shadows work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right? They did make it that. That was like a line in in this story. It's like you shine enough light to destroy the dark, and I'm like, that's not how light bulbs work. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I'm like, that goes against everything that I remember from the holocrons and the teachings and the epiphanies of different Jedi later as they're trying to rebuild what the order once was. <laughs> so I do want to say, um. You, you're a little behind on the releasing of the shows from when we record them. And so I had just listened to the year in review episode because we had recorded it uh, a while ago. And I didn't realize that Nate was going to give us an introduction uh, like that <laughs> for our, our 10th anniversary. So it's because it's all, all of our 10th anniversary. And uh, he said some very kind things about me. Um, thank you. <laughs> that's a it's nice it's nice to hear nice things yeah yeah that was the last minute you know we were we we're getting ready to do the show and i'm like you know like this this would be a good time to actually have nate record some plus there's like this part of me that's like 
if I can get Nate to record a clip every year and add it to the podcast, technically he still counts as the world's longest Star there Wars podcast. There you go. <laughs> Keeping yeah, the dream alive. I wouldn't alive. be here without him, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm just trying to do him proud because uh, we we all know that uh, he he's a great voice to listen to on the podcast. So I, I just try to I try to keep keep it up so other people enjoy it as much as I did when he was on. Well, you're doing a good job because I know I couldn't keep this stuff straight. I'm having a hard enough time just keeping two different universes squared off. Like, oh, no, that was in Legends. Nope, that was canon. Ah, oh, man, it's, it's rough. You timeliners have a difficult job at times. <laughs> uh, it's the uh, the analness that helps. Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we look back at Tom Beach's Tales of the Jedi, The Freedom Nad Uprising. I was going to say The Freedom Nad Uprising... When I first started collecting comics seriously, I was trying to get all the trade paperbacks. The Freed Nat Uprising is two issues of the comic. Two. And they published that as a trade paperback with just two issues. It was impossible. Impossible to find. Nobody had it. Had it? That's a word. Mm -hmm. And it was just one. It took me forever to get that one, so I couldn't even read the Tales of the Jedi till I got that that trade paperback. Because I, at that point, you didn't have streaming or anything. Like you couldn't like just pull it up online. Right. Uh, all the original issues of the comic were gone. This is the infancy of eBay at this point when I was looking. <laughs> right. So you actually hunted down a trade. Yes, I did end up, uh, I did finally find a trade. This was before it came out in Omnibus, and so I did have that uh, mm-hmm. probably early 2000s. See, you did better than I. Um, I never did find it in trade. I never got it in singles. For me, before the Omnibus come out, I got it in the 40th uh, hardcover edition. I believe it was the second issue of the 12-issue hardcovers that they put out. Um, and that was when I first had it. And then it was like, okay, I bought these specifically to be collector's items. They were, you know, we're only going to make as many get ordered. We're never going to do a reprint. So I'm sitting there like, well, I've never read the story. Do I open the book and, and cost the <laughs> value to drop? So and I was working at Kodak. So I had all these like gloves for working with x-ray films. So I brought some home and they had these little, little rubber tips. And I'm like meticulously going through. I read it once. I put it back in his thing and I never touched it again. And when that omnibus come out, course that's what i got here on the desk with me that's been how i've had it ever since Uh, Um, but yeah that sucker was hard to find those 30th uh 30th um anniversary dark horse hardcovers are a work of beauty Uh, i don't think they've come out with anything like that that was like that worthwhile getting really because they weren't i don't remember them being terribly expensive but it was one of those like Oh, these are pretty neat, and they did it once a month for a full year. Like, if you can get them, you got them. If you couldn't get them, you are SOL because they didn't make any more. And apparently some companies decided to order extras because you can still find them online being sold, but they're 
you know, the older copies that somebody has extras of. And I don't know if it's the complete set. I just see a couple here and there. They're still pretty reasonably priced oh. for what they are. But yeah, they're beautiful. Yeah. So I I also have the omnibus here. That's the one I'm using because I did I did end up getting I changed my collection tactic to just be the original version. So I ended up having to pick up the original comics, uh, which were a lot easier um, with eBay now in full swing. And so I have the original right. comics, but uh, those are sealed away in their locked tight vault of cardboard boxes. The Fortress of Solitude. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know how we get with this. We're going to ask those questions. Was it any good? Was it accessible? How was the art? Could it be adopted into canon? Uh, so, Jim, let's uh, just jump right in. Was it any good? This one, when I was reading it, I kept feeling like, you know, I did we go over this? You know, we were talking about a pre-show. I'm like, I had to go back and, and double check to make sure we didn't cover this one already. I've just read it that many times. Um, it's... Hard to say if it's good because I feel like it's part of an ensemble piece. It's not one that if you were just reading this one comic alone, you're going to get a lot of depth out of. There's a lot of things that have taken place before this issue that come into play. And there's things that get introduced into this that come into play in later issues. So it's definitely an important piece to the overall story. Uh, But as it sits by itself... It's kind of hard to give it a good solid wasn't it good. It's it's a solid run, but I wouldn't say it's like, you know, you got to check this one out. Um it's definitely one of those that's great if you're curious about the old lore and what was going on with the Sith because it definitely gives you an idea of what's been going on with the Sith and prophecies of what may happen later with the Sith, which I found very intriguing. That was definitely, when it came to the tales of the Jedi stories, that lore building was what definitely brought me back every single time. Not so much, you know, what was going on with the characters in the first few comics, but as the story progressed, I really enjoyed, especially Ulick Quadrama's story out of it all. In a lot of ways, I feel like he's kind of like the center star of these. And Naomi kind of comes into a, a, a second when that I mean, she definitely is a power player as the story goes along, too. But definitely get the feeling at this time frame that we're more centered on Ulick and what's going on with him as Nami's kind of growing. You know, as we were joking about, she's only been, you know, training as a Jedi for what? Barely a month at this point? Maybe two? I think it was a few months they had said uh, when they when when she volunteered to go help. It said that uh, something like she was she's been training for a few months. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense though. So, was it any good? I don't know. It's it, it, it's hard to it's hard to like judge it on its own because it is two issues, right. two comic issues. It's not that long. It does tie heavily into what happened before. Um, not the uh, Nomi Sunrider arc at all. Uh, really that the only thing that tells us is where two of the characters come from that's it mm-hmm. uh but it it almost like skips that arc completely and connects up with the the previous uh knights of the old republic arc um oh i'm forgetting the name of what the the, the beast wars yeah, of the beast, or yeah the beast riders beast war the beast wars of Andoran something like that oh i'm so tired um but yeah it it almost connects directly up with that and so if you kind of take that continuation and uh go into this one you can see 
almost a complete streamlined um a streamline of story and so it those were three issues of the the comic series and then you have another two that's almost a full arc right there and if you kind of counted in that yes i thought it was enjoyable i thought it wrapped up um pretty much what we had saw in the beast wars arc with the um the the movement of the uh the, the leadership of onderon and everything and what was going on there and, right. and kind of tips us off to the next series. It seemed more like a wrap-up of what we had already seen than the start of something new. Right, yeah, we were kind of put right back into the same place we were at the end of the Beast Rider's arc, with the exception that now the the daughter, who's now queen, is no longer in her capital. They've been usurped, in a sense, by the uh, Natus's uh, that came and revolted and took it over. She was usurped um, by dad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why don't you come who, who visit wasn't, me? <laughs> you looked at wasn't the vegetable we thought. Uh, yeah. <laughs> kind of creepy. Oh, all right. You know, oh, I, and I'm going to bring it up again later, but I, we can bring it up in the spoiler-free part. Did you notice there were two things about him that were used and utilized later in Star Wars storytelling? One... I saw was the uh, familiarity, the, the likeness of Naminor in that character. Like, it, 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 this guy's robotic and has this brace thing that, that's holding him. But the, the look of the way his face and that connects is very similar to how Naminor was drawn. And the main difference was, instead of mechanical stuff, Naminor had, like, these live crab legs pulling on his face and stuff. And then the other side of it was King Almond's chair is the inspiration for the chair for Palpatine in uh, Canon's Rise of Skywalker movie. It's not only the inspiration, that's what they call it in the I don't they didn't use the term that's in right. the movie, but in, in like official canon it is known as an omen harness. That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. That was in the uh the what visual guide where they I, also mentioned uh, Revan's name as one of the Sith troops. Uh there was like three or four Sith lords that regiments of troops were named after. So people, you know, that that wanted to see these characters and stuff kind of come over and get all excited. Oh, yeah, they're referencing them. That means they exist somewhere somehow some way. Um so that was kind of cool. Um as for accessible, this is one of those that that I find really hard because it's like how you find it accessible is going to be determined on how you are particular with how you read your stories. If you're okay with coming into a story in the middle of the story and not really knowing things and kind of discovering them as you come along, yeah, you're going to find this very accessible. You're jumping right in. Now, if you're somebody that wants to have like an opening crawl, explain things, and then go into it, I, I think you're going to have a harder time with this because you're literally dumped right in the middle of the story. Uh, but when I think about you know when the Tales of the Jedi start, that's kind of how the, the series started too. So I go back and forth. Like, I feel like, you know, it really is going to come down to your preference as a reader. Yeah, I'd, I, I, I don't think it's accessible at all because you are, like I said, wrapping up mm -hmm. a story. And if you did not read that story, then you are going to be completely lost of what's going on. You don't know who the characters are. They don't really get introduced at all except for Arca, I think. I feel it's like pretty much Arca and uh, King Omen are the only ones we really get like decent background 
on, and I think that's mostly was Arca even in the other ones? I think he's fairly new. He he was, but we were laughing about the fact that like when all of it was going down, he sends his padawans and he doesn't oh, okay, show yeah. up to help. It's like <laughs> yeah, and then Omen essentially wasn't in them either. Like I I know we saw him, but I don't think he moved. I think he was just... Yeah, no, they pretty much put off that he was, like, in a vegetative state. And then we learn afterwards, like, oh, no, he's not as bad off as we thought he was. Yeah, it's been a while since I... Like, since when we read them, What it was, what, like, several months ago. And that actually almost mirrors when they were released. And so I'm, I'm, I would be surprised if anybody, <laughs> like, reading this got, like, a, oh, what's going on? Like, kind of feeling... Right. So how was the art? I I got to admit, man, I'm not a fan of uh, the way, let's see, art was by Tony Atkins and, and Dennis Rodier. Like, Dave Dorman's illustrations for the covers and stuff, I like that. But I found that a lot of the details, like a lot of the, the scenes of cities and stuff were almost overcrowded, but not in a way that there was much depth to him. So a lot of the times I felt like I was looking at some of those pictures with the stairs that go in multiple directions. Like I felt oh, like the there's MC no physics Escher. to the photos. Yeah. Like, and, and then of course, you know, Nami Sunrider, the way her head is drawn, just, uh, I'm not a fan of that style. <laughs> her hair goes back to the way it was though. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess you, you can give him points for continuity in that regard. Yeah. <laughs> I also found that the lightsaber was interesting in this. Like, you know, they, they've done that flare style quite a bit. But I think the thing that I really dialed in on this time was, like, you almost see a wavelength running up the center beam. Instead of it being, like, a solid beam with the glow around it, it's got that zigzag kind of like a, a, a speech pattern on Audacity kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the... I'm not a huge fan. You're right. It's chaotic at times. The the ship, like the the one main ship that we get is almost incomprehensible of what it is. It doesn't look the same in any of the pictures of it that I still don't know what what it looks like. Oh, we're talking uh, the the cousins from the Teta system? Yes. Their ship. Yeah. That gold yeah. Yeah, when they crash it, that was when I really was like, okay, the way I thought, I thought when we see it at first, I thought we were like in a mid-roll. No, it's coming at you straight on. <laughs> yeah, but we see it like literally five, it's drawn five different times. I still could not recreate this ship if I wanted to. And it's like, it came, it's like we we belly downed. I'm like, that was the belly? <laughs> like, right, right. It, I mean, it was like looking like a little Empire or uh, Empire State Building crashing. Like it's standing, like the way it crashes, you'd think that thing would just flip end over end <laughs> or crumple. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I'm not a big fan of the art. Um, the other thing that I found interesting is the omnibuses. You know, they don't put in opening crawls, and I'm pretty sure that even though this was only two issues. Uh, 54 pages and all, I'm pretty sure that those singles had crawls because that's usually, you know, every single kind of always puts a crawl in, even though the trade paperbacks usually put one at the beginning. This doesn't give us anything. That's um, uh, the Wikipedia pages are usually pretty good with putting in the crawl. 
I'm looking to see. Right, because even the second one in this volume of the Omnibus, the Dark Lords of the Sith that follows, it's got a crawl. <laughs> yeah, here we go. The opening crawl. All right, lay it on me, Jim. <clears throat> yum, yum, yum. All right, all right. Uh, getting, getting my uh, my narrator voice going. These are the recondite histories of the ancient order of Jedi Knights as recorded in the crystalline recesses of the Jedi Holocron. The period, 4,000 years before the birth of Luke Skywalker, marked a turning point in the history of the Galactic Republic. During that time, two young Jedi became respected throughout the galaxy for their heroic exploits in great battles with the dark side of the Force. Their names were Ulic, Keldroma, and Nomi Sunrider. We take up an early chapter in their saga on the planet Onderon, a world long divided into warring tribes. Following the death of Queen Aminoa of Isis, her daughter Galia has ascended to the throne, sharing power with her husband, the Beast Lord Oran Kira. For a time, it seemed that Jedi Master Arka and his three Jedi apprentices, Ulic, his brother Kay Keldroma, and Tat Donita, had succeeded in bringing peace to divided Onderon, but many Onderonians still worship the memory of Frida Nad, a dark Jedi who ruled the planet centuries earlier. Joining with mutinous officers of Onderon's royal military, the Nadists are staging violent protests inside the great walled city of Isis. Queen, Queen Galia's new government is already on the verge of collapse. Dun, dun, dun. Boy, that just flat out says what I was thinking. Yeah. Pay attention to these two characters. They're your heroes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So we did get an opening crawl. We just didn't get an opening crawl. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's something they need to fix in later uh, collections, man. They got you got to put those. In. Well, maybe Some, they did. This is uh, Dark Horses collection, so maybe uh, that's true. maybe in Marvel. True. I well, I'm like I was thinking, like you know, all the different legends series that I collected in comics, almost all of them I did as single issues. And then I went back and I was collecting some of them in the trades. And I, that was one of the things I noticed is sometimes there was a lot of important details that those opening crawls would give you that just weren't in the actual issue. And if you didn't have that at all, that's just information you just miss out on. And it kind of sucks. Yeah, pretty much. As people who missed out on that completely. Right, right. Uh, so our last question in the spoiler-free part is, uh, sh- is, could this be adopted into canon? And, of course, we'll circle back around that with some spoiler details. You know, I- I'm, again, of the opinion, like we were the last time we were talking about this, I- this stuff could easily be adopted in, especially when you think about the fact that, like, the High Republic's only set 200 years or 150 years in the past from Episode 1. Uh, we're about to jump even farther back in Wave 2. This being set 34,000 uh, or 4,000 years in the past, like if you even left it right in there and just moved it over, that would work. Or you could go even farther back. Um, I don't see anything that would really conflict with what we're getting in canon. So I think that would be an easy shift if you wanted to. Yeah, definitely. Like you think about 4,000 years of our own history on Earth. What can you tell me that happened 4,000 years ago? Anything. Mm. Name one thing. Name one thing. Hmm. Damn. Yeah. Aztecs. <laughs> I don't know. The Aztecs weren't even that long ago. Um, hold on. Uh, right. <laughs> let's see. Aztec Empire. Uh, founded in 1428. <laughs> oh. Hey. 
Yep. That's not even 500 yeah. years ago. <laughs> right? Wow. Yeah. There's so much you could do with this. I mean, you know, getting back to the spoiler-free aspect of this, like, the story was interesting. I, I think the thing that we'll really get into when we get to the spoiler part is the way the concepts of the light and the dark and how it's affecting the planet, how it's affecting the Jedi. Those are definitely the things that I found interesting, but there wasn't a lot of delivery or payoff to those. Like they don't go into any kind of an explanation. It's just kind of you infer things and move forward. And going back and rereading this, you know, because when I read it the first few times, it was before a lot of the other lore came out and stuff. But going back, I'm like, I'm questioning a lot of the things that Arca says. Because I'm like, yeah, I don't feel like that's right, bro. (laughs) 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 We'll get into that, you know, deeper as we get into spoiler stuff. But that was definitely one of the things that kept jumping up to me as the story was going on was how, you know, the the force was affecting the Jedi that were coming to the planet differently. So much so that Arcus, like we got to get these sarcophaguses off of the planet because it's impacting everyone. Um, It just, that's a really cool concept that I kind of wish legends would have played with a lot more than what we did. I mean, you know, we've always had Sith Lords and stuff that have died and come back as Sith spirits in some form or fashion, even though we're not supposed to be getting Sith ghosts. So I've always, always been intrigued by that. I like the the idea that their selfishness latches them onto stuff. And in this story, you're definitely seeing, you know, Freed Ned really have an influence over, you know, today's events kind of thing for the people living in that moment. It's like, here's this long since dead guy that's still a thorn in the side of the Jedi Order. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, no, I like, like we are saying, can it be brought into canon? I think... I, I don't think there's anything that really keeps it out of canon. Like, story is fairly self-contained, but it ties into, like, anything I said on the Beast Wars of Onderon really includes this, because it, it, I would 100% include this as part of that story. Right. And, and, you know, you could even do it in a way where you take the characters and stuff and you don't reference these, but you slightly reference them kind of like how in the clone wars right we see anakin having the scar over his eye that if you've you know watched the gindy series you know stuff from legends you know that asajj ventress gave that to him but if you're actually watching canon material we never see her actually give him that scar anymore and so you know it's like it's implied that those legend stories happened even though they didn't exactly happen in canon and i it'd be kind of cool to go back and have these characters and have these kind of things hinted at but we see new adventures of theirs would be kind of fun that would be interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, do you have anything else spoiler-free before we get into the nitty and gritty? I do not. All right, then let's do it. Consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. So, Jim, let's uh, let's put this in chronological order for the people out there. I mean, you know, we, we know it's about 4,000, or was it three... 3,998 years uh, or so in the past. It's like, these events take place approximately 3,998 years, six months, two days, and four hours before the Battle of Yavin. Approximately. (laughs) And a couple seconds. (laughs) Is there... There's not a lot going on in this era outside of this story arc, right? Like, that's the one thing, like, you know, when you, you think about the KOTOR... 
game. And then you think of the Knights of the Old Republic story. You know, those were both being told around the same time. But I feel like there's nothing really that kind of overlaps here. It's all in a chronological order. We literally go from one story to the next story. There's not, you know, not like what we're having with the High Republic where, you know, you get mission to disaster and you're like, is it fall before or after Fallen Star? Um, you know, you get to the Midnight Horizon and it's taking place in the middle of the Fallen Star or like at the beginning part of it. Like, we don't have any kind of crossover like that, though, right? No, pretty much not. Um like looking at my timeline, the yeah the uh, the Kotor Knights of the Old Republic, the first five issues of the Tales of the Jedi series, uh, they take place from four thousand and three thousand nine hundred ninety nine with the Saga Nomi Senrider, and then the release of these two issues uh, was immediately following the Saga of Nomi Sunrider. Actually, it was a couple of month gap in between them but um yeah these were released in august and september of 1994 where the previous issues were released in like i think I, I looked it up before it was like um like earlier in the year like march maybe february and it was the last mm-hmm. issue and so you did have a bit of a break but um this was before really anything of that time and nothing since then even really overlapped it Right. We we get Ossus Willem. Uh, he's one of the Jedis that worked with uh, Nami and, and Thawn. Master Thawn when he was on uh, that world we were talking about in the last issue. Yeah. He shows up and immediately... We saw him. Actually, we saw him leave. Like, they, we that was part of the Beast, uh, or oh, the yeah. uh, Saga of Nomi Sunrider, is uh, he got picked up and taken off in the middle of it. Right, that's right. That's right. So we know now how long it took him to travel. <laughs> a whole year. <laughs> he, when he first shows up, though, he looks at Master Ark and he's like, you look unwell. And, and Ark is like talking about how the dark side's having its effect on the Jedi. And that's like the beginning of, of the cool part of the dark side. Like, you know, it's, it's infused this planet to the point that, you know, just being there is having an effect on them. Um, and, and later we'll see it more. Well, look, look at Ulick. Ulick's green the entire series. You know, I did not realize that, but you're right. He is. Especially if you look on that panel where you see the, the soldiers wearing their green. He's almost the exact same shade. <laughs> he it, he doesn't start out as bad um, at the beginning of this, but by the end, like they legit colored him green by the end of it. Dang, that's a good good catch. Yeah, because he even his brother's got like a a blueness to his cheeks when he's shown, huh? And that that could also too be part of the the coloring styles that they're choosing. But yeah, you definitely. I mean, in Arca especially, like as it goes on, gets more gray green as the issue goes. I think that's just Arca's coloring. That could be. I mean, well, let me see. Uh, in Kotor, the comics, I want to say Arcanians were kind of white, right? don't remember my i i can't even find any of that stuff uh, my house is such a disaster at the moment it took me <laughs> half an hour to find this book <laughs> <laughs> well if that was purposely chosen as a way of reflecting the uh you know the effect of the dark side on it make kudos there because it definitely plays across in that regard um we also see the natus have got 
quite a bit of technology. Um, where they come burrowing up with their tower drill type device out of the ground. And uh, the guy jumps out. What's his name? Uh, Warb Null or something like that. They we don't find it out name later. him at first. It was like right when he get killed that he we get a name for him. Right. And it's like, like he shall oh. battle. Oh, I, I do need his name. He shall battle him. And I'm like, battle who? Oh, <laughs> the guy with the armor. That's his name. Right. Kind of a, a another crappy thing- name. That I had noticed that I don't know if it's intentional or not, but when the Darksiders are talking later on through the story, a lot of their speech has that red around it. Yes. That, you know, like the Sith Lord. But Ulick, there are times where he gets passionate or he's yelling and his dialogue does the same thing. And at first when I read it, I thought, OK, he's just yelling. But now going back on it, even the Sith Lord was mentioning that there are certain members, uh, you know, he's like. There's a section where he goes, fight well, young Jedi. A great destiny awaits you. And, like, he's constantly mentioning that. And I'm, like, thinking back now on maybe those are moments when the dark side are really starting to flare in Ulick. And that's how it's being represented. Like, that would be a kind of a cool way to go about it. Because it's, it's not all his dialogue, but it's always in moments where things seem to be really intense. Like, the first time it's when Arca kind of, like, drops down when the attack happens. And he's like, Master! And uh, Todd's like, look, the Darksiders have struck back. Like, really? You, I think we're all pretty much aware of that, Todd. The, <laughs> uh, it, it, not only he does have the red outline, he also has yellow outline occasionally of his text. Oh, like, yeah. So there's definitely something going on there, even if it's if it's just emotions uh, being portrayed or what. Yeah, it's it seems to be just him or the Sith. Or not Sith? I don't know. Oh, that was my. I had a question for you that I wanted to ask. Why is Frida Ned not a Sith? Like, why make him a dark Jedi? That seems to be a specific choice of the storyline. I don't know if it was ever explained anywhere. I don't remember. I I think the only reason why he's not a Sith, I think it's to set up the next story arc. Um, plus it also gives us the concept that Jedi becomes Sith because at this point, you know, we're like still learning that there was a Sith species and we're like, well, but you know, Palpatine's not one of that species. And, and, you know, as we eventually learn, you know, there was the whole Bane rule too and all that and the species died out. But I think that this is important to show that not only is the dark side a threat to the Jedi, but the teachings of the Sith are a threat to them all as well because it, you know, it can in intents and purposes turn you to a dark Jedi, which is just a step away from a Sith. There's, there's really not much difference here. And if you think about it, I mean, Nad's personally responsible for the next group of Sith that come along. Pretty much. That's why it makes me wonder, like, can the next group of Sith that comes along be called Sith? If Nad is the one responsible for him, like we'll find out that, they are anointed by quote real Sith, but um, like why, why is Frida Ned not a Sith? It, like that, mm-hmm. that always confused me. I believe we, we even learned like he trained under um, Nagasetto, didn't he? I believe, yeah, I believe he did actually. I believe so. Yes, sir. Yeah. So that, that, that has always, um, piqued my curiosity. I never knew if it was ever explained why or if he was just um, 
too much of a pain in the ass that they <laughs> like. Yeah, yeah, you didn't earn it. <laughs> right. Well, and and I, you know, I would almost think that the effects he's having on the planet kind of lead him more into the light of he should have been considered that way. I mean, when uh, Oss is talking to him, you know, he's like, "Master Arca, you look unwell." And Arca says, "You know, the dark side of the Force, the city." is still permeated with it, affecting all of us. In spite of the greatest efforts of the Jedi, the dark side has never been completely driven from the galaxy, and despite the light I have brought, it seems curiously powerful on this world. The dark Jedi Frida Nadd still has a following among the populace. I believe some of his inherits are dark side magicians. But that first, or that middle part right there, where he says, in spite of our greatest efforts of the Jedi, the dark side has never been completely driven from the galaxy and i'm thinking dude your concept of light and dark from what i gathered from later stories and stuff of my knowledge of the jedi is fundamentally you're never going to get rid of it and the fact that the jedi this era think that they can is hubris to a whole new level (laughs) yeah it kind of completely uh uh is the antithesis of the balance of the force and all that stuff. Right. If you, you can't have light without dark and yet here they're trying to purge. I mean, I would think that, you know, some people theorize that if you did what he's suggesting, that you're throwing the force out of balance in the opposite direction. And, you know, you're practically begging for the will of the force to shift the bad guys back into a, you know, a more neutral spot. So (laughs) I wanted to bring up, one of my favorite drawings in this whole uh, this series here is when we are first introduced to Frieda Ned, the actual guy, Frieda Ned. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on his depiction? Are we talking on page seventeen when he shows up as a Force ghost? Yes. Or... Yep. Yeah. When I first saw him, he he reminded me a lot of Marcus Ragnus, <laughs> like like. He definitely, and that gets back to, you know, he looks more like a Sith Lord from what we've been seeing than anything else. Almost (laughs) He-Man-like. I'm going to send you an image. All right. (laughs) I'll add this to the show notes for those uh, curious what we're talking about here. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's great. Every time I see him. Oh, it looks like Starscream. No, I can see it. Oh my god! Yeah, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'll have to add the image. It's a classic picture of the toy. But now that you're, yeah, on page 19, they're on page 17. Yeah, no, I could see it. it I could, like I always think he looks like a transformer. I, I was thinking Optimus. I'm like, wait, he doesn't kind. It doesn't look like Optimus. It's Starscream. It looks like Starscream. <laughs> Uh, the other thing about it and we were talking about this pre-show is is that the sith ghost in this case is red um it's kind of you know gold right right red gold uh orange yellow yeah it's got all those kind of colors whereas like the jedi ghosts we've seen and stuff always had the blue but i was thinking about certain video games like jedi academy um with kyle kurtan and stuff and his apprentice Jaden core when they go up against marcus ragnus's ghost it was blue in that um i think like in kotor and stuff when they're talking about different sith lords and stuff they were blue uh let the legacy comics when darth kray looking at the old sith lords and stuff their ghosts were all blue 
So it, I almost think like this was a stylization choice of the fact that like it was so little was known about Force Ghosts in general that they were kind of doing that whole, well, you know, Jedi have blue lightsabers and Sith had red ones. So let's just make these guys like more on the red side of things because they, they burn fiery with passion, which kind of makes sense. But I assume it's definitely one of those concepts that evolved. Yeah, I assume that's exactly what they were doing is trying because we all we had were the Force Ghosts from Empire and Jedi and that's it. Like, this is some of the earliest comics that really showed the Force Ghosts. And so, since we're having Darksiders with Force Ghosts, how do we make them look different? Um, and so, we get this weird, like, it's so super weird. Because they're like, it's not even their Force Ghosts. You're not, like, usually when you get a Force Ghost, there's kind of a haze around them. Like, there's no haze around Freed Ned in this in this series. It's like crystal clear but he's all monochrome almost monochrome duochrome with like just yellow and gold or red or whatever Mm -hmm. yeah no legit that's straight up (laughs) yeah i I, but it's it's one of those things like you know same thing with uh the new jedi order when we had certain jedi that would die and, and become one with the force you know we didn't know at that time that lucas had specific plans for death and for the spirits and stuff. And so, like, at this point, we're kind of shown these these characters and stuff and the connection to the sarcophagus. While it's it's referenced in the dialogue, there's not a direct correlation. And later they retcon it that, you know, these Sith spirits are only able to do this by, by channeling their selfishness and all their anger and fear and hate and latch on to a physical object and kind of imbue their spirit into that object and are kind of like tethered to it in a sense, whereas a Jedi isn't. Um, and, and they, they leave it, nebulous enough that that ends up being something that works really well with the story and it doesn't change what you're seeing. It works with it well. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to st- take a step back and kind of walk us through the, the storyline a little bit. So we we are back on Onderon and we have the Nanists are trying to take over the government. And so the Jedi kind of ga- gather forces, get everybody to kind of try to help retake the planet. Meanwhile, to counter this, we have the bodies of the the queen and Frieda Nad being transported to the the most luxurious temple I have ever seen for somebody causing this much trouble. It is like <laughs> it, it is like we gave um, Jefferson Davis a something on. Um, the Lincoln Memorial proportions because people were being too much of a pain in the butt and they need to get rid of him. Like th- that's literally what's happening. And that's even at the same at the end when they take him to, to that's uh, what I'm Duxin saying instead. Yeah. The ducks and moon has the, the, that, that ziggurat. Um, yeah. Well, when you look on page 10, like the original place they were taking the sarcophagus was almost the same thing. It's got banners. It's like a little pyramid and everything. It's just like, it's almost like they're like, hey, you know, every tomb should look like Egypt. <laughs> I think that's the ship. That's the ship that they're taking it to there. Oh. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, so they, they... Yeah, okay, I can see that being the, the case. Yeah, the Natists caught the, 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 tomb, the tombs, the bodies, on the way to uh, the moon before they could leave. And so that's what they, they burst in with their, um, their super warrior 
totally not a droid guy in medieval armor. Um, I still and then we later find out that the other ones are droids. <laughs> yeah, the other ones are droids, and so that starts the major battle in this whole thing, and that's where we go down and find out that uh, King Omen is still alive. Uh, doesn't look like it at first, but mm-hmm. he uh, Arca wanted to talk to him and said, "Just, just like." let us go essentially let the bodies go and that's when we find out that freedom nat is really behind everything right and i like the lead up to that because like you know the nat is just left with it uh arca falls over ulik comes running up master arca are you all right did did you feel it the darkness had amazing strength something terrible is at work it is as i feared freedom nod and queen amara are dead but their Sith magic is very much alive. And that's when the daughter's like, well, maybe my father can help us. And he's like, your father? Yes, he's been confined in a life support facility for many years. More than my mother. He understands the dark side. And I'm like, well, I, that don't sound good. Yeah, that's <laughs> not like, true. It's like, yes, take me to them. This isn't good. Yeah, well. he's our best hope. I must <laughs> see him. Like, uh-oh. And and of course, you know, that's that's when I was like, you know, when we see him, he, he definitely reminded me of Naminor. Just... Instead of having like you know the the chitinous armor, he's in a a, a white medical robe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a like, but like when uh, Ark is talking to him, is like basically, Friedenad's still here, and Friedenad just starts talking to him. Um, the 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 spirit. He goes, "Yes, my mummified flesh sleeps on stone, but this old man called my spirit back from chaos." I have given him my knowledge. Fear me not, Jedi. I am powerless in my present state. Like, right? Like I, I, I. That's like one of my favorite things because it's like, like if the dark side doesn't like tell you the truth, but also lie to you at the same time, <laughs> saying the same exact thing. Like that is like the ultimate version of it. It's like, wait. So like clearly you can't cause harm, but you are causing harm. How are you, that that's that's well spoken there, <laughs> right? Well, and especially because it's implied before that dialogue. If you listen to what Omnin's telling Arca, it's like this has been going on for a long time. He goes, you know, bend closer, Jedi. Omnin will tell you a secret, and he's like whispering it. And his I like how his speech bubbles like all like little jigglies. Like you could tell it's the whisper. And he goes, my mind dwells in a great void. The darkness has been with us for centuries. My father. His father. And then Ark is like, I know that. But you, but do you know the Great One is with us even yet? Like, dude, like this guy's been doing this for at least three generations that we know of. And while the Sith, I'm going to call him a Sith Lord, even though he's not. But even though he's been there and doing this, he's right. He's not the threat. It's what he's been teaching these living people that still have access to the Force. That's the real threat. It's just the knowledge that he represents that's, you know, the problem. <laughs> they learn it, then they go out and do it, and then they create the evil. <laughs> knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. And again, we got the lightsabers doing that weird little, you know, the wavelength pattern down the middle of all the blades. Oh, yeah, you're right. I didn't. I, I don't think I ever looked that closely at it. It's only when we're kind of zoomed out. When they're zoomed in on them, they're just kind of like... A, they're they're more 
thicker, but um, mm-hmm. when they're zoomed out far, it does kind of look like the the um, the the speech when you're looking at somebody talk, uh, sort of a right. zigzag. Right, and Warb Null. Warb Null. That's it. About him. That's it. That's his name. Warb Null. Yeah. That's stupid name. <laughs> I'm trying to think of where I feel like his armor has been used for another character somewhere. Maybe it was uh, Crueler from was it the New Republic book? There was a book where Crueler, I, I believe his name was Crueler, and he had some costume like this, and and when he was in one of the. Uh, Essential Guide to the Force or something like that. His his suit looked a lot like this guy's. But what I think is cool is his lightsaber. Like the, the hilt on that thing. It's almost Darth Maul length, man. That thing is huge. It's definitely like broadsword length hilt there. Which just kind of like makes sense. He He's very, uh, what's it, like Samurai Vader. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and what's interesting too is like this is when... Almond really starts like showing how much power he has. You know, we've been under the impression that like he couldn't move. Well, the harness is moving him. He's able to like put Arca in some kind of stasis thing. Like he blasts him. Uh, it's weird. Like it says, uh, the narration says, still attached to his armature, King Almond lurches to his feet and lashes out at Arca. It is suddenly clear that he's not the decrepit invalid he tends to be in spite of his need for machinery and support of his softened bones. Amon is filled with power and he reaches out and like, like it doesn't really show him casting a power out of his fingers, but like his hands up, Arca falls back and the power is all around Arca. And he's like, believe me, Jedi, the Sith way will live forever, which Again, gets back to that question you have of why isn't Nad considered a Sith when everything he's taught Almon, Almon's considering Sith stuff. Like, yeah, I, I kind of feel like that should have been retconned out. <laughs> yeah, it should, that always confused me and still does. Um, right. Clearly. <laughs> but so Almon then steals Arca and war, Warbly Null. And uh, the the green Ulick um, <laughs> is getting greener every time. And are are in a in a in a duel. Try and mm-hmm. try a brief one. It says a brief one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> With one magnificent blow of his lightsaber, Ulick Quail Drama ends the brief career of Warm Null. <laughs> he, he get he gets nullified. <laughs> Well, I mean, clearly the armor wasn't Mandalorian made. <laughs> it was not Beskar. That, that is for certain. And then, of course, you know, we see the planet. You know, it's still the planet having its effect. Victorious, Ulick feels no jubilation, only a dark vertigo. And he's like, my head, I, f- I feel like I'm falling from a great height. They've taken Arca. I can't sense where he is. Did you see which way they went? And, and the queen's like, I'm not sure. And I'm like thinking, like, you know, I don't trust you. <laughs> that's, that's a pause there. And so far, every one of your family members has turned out to be not as legit as they said. <laughs> so, except the husband. We trust the husband. Right, right. Uh, and then again, in the narration, we find out at this point that while this battle was going on, the Nattis have taken up shop inside the, the castle. So she's got to bail and go back to her husband's family on, on their planet because <laughs> they've lost control. Yeah. From here, 
They escape to plot Arca's rescue, and we jump to Osis, where um, Nomi Sunrider has just arrived with Vima. Vimi? Vima. I don't remember. No, what's her name? The Vima. Yeah, Vima. I call her Vima. Vima, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, they just arrive so that Nomi can build her lightsaber, the terrible, terrible lightsaber of which she refused to ever use and is now all gung-ho to build her own. Mm-hmm. Yep, she's seen the error in ways. I like how when we get to uh, Master Voto, he's like, so I see you brought my new student. And I was like, wait, she's going to train under... No, she's not training. He, what he means is student of lightsaber building. Like, he's like the master lightsaber builder, and she's come there to have him instruct her on how to build the saber. And then I was wondering, like, did we get a retcon already? Because as they're sitting there, and, and Voto's got the uh, Marillion lightsaber, or the Jedi that can't see, I can't remember the name of their species, she's sitting there, and she has screwed up her lightsaber. Like, she didn't cut the crystal right. She's like, I think I ruined this crystal. I'm sorry, I cut it in the wrong angle. And he's like, no, it was flawed. It was a bad specimen. Take another one to start. And at this point, Nomi pulls out her husband's box of the Adigan crystals, but she's not calling him that. Or or not her, but Odo. He's like, oh, Pontides, the rarest kind. And I'm like, wait, that wasn't their name. And that's a really messed up name in why, general. Wait, why did, uh, when did he become Scottish? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he's, a, he's a giant crab looking crustacean looking guy so is it uh, and i want to say him because we do find um i'm gonna go with they because i don't know if it's a him or a her uh we do find their ancestor in a later book uh who helps teach leia right well and, and that was yeah i was thinking the same thing that it was a gatekeeper and i don't know if it was i think it's supposed to be him and they changed his name as a gatekeeper because he talks about uh, Exar Kun when he's talking to Leia, which we'll find out in the next uh, issue or the next arc who that is and how he pertains to it. Because I want to say that it was him. It was him. Not, not yeah. Yeah, that, that trained Kun. Uh, Voto Syask Boss was the now i'm looking to see if they used any pronouns for him it, I think you're they, right. they, I think well they said they. they i don't know if in the book but uh according to wikipedia it's a uh, uh, male kravaki okay interesting yeah so she you know we get to see her build it she uh brings it up they do reference uh her not wanting to do it, it says uh, throughout a long and enjoyable week Nami uh, works on her lightsaber, instructed by the wise old Vodo Siosk boss. Uh, during the first months of her apprenticeship, Nomi resisted Thon's urgings to take up the Jedi weapon, but she now understands many things that were hidden before. A lightsaber is not only a weapon of war, it is one of the ways a Jedi contacts the Force. So she's now more open to it. Hi. Uh, dun, dun, dun. Voto Sias Bosk first appeared as a holocron gatekeeper in Dark Apprentice, the second novel of the Jedi Academy trilogy. Mm-hmm. Now, did they mention how 
the the holocron gatekeeper and him are related, connected at all? They're the same person. Okay, that's what I thought it was. I thought that was the case. And if I recall correctly, Leia gets that holocron from either an ancestor of Vima or Vima herself, who happens to be super duper old. But I, <laughs> I, I, oh, okay. Um, yeah, definitely an ancestor of. I thought it was an ancestor of Vodo. You're saying it's an ancestor of Vima. The the lady that gives Leia the holocron. I want to say that she is, yeah, an ancestor of her. And she even goes and helps Luke while he's setting up the order. Although it's like, you know, she goes off to help him in, in the comic. But we never really hear or see from her again. But I think maybe one reference during the New Jedi Order when they're talking about her and Ikrit and uh, Luke's time on Dathomir when he finds the Chunther. But it's like a little quick throwaway reference. Like, they're there, but we never really see them again. <laughs> Vima Deboda. Mm, yes, that's the one. The old crone. Yes. So, oh, she is the great, great, great granddaughter of Vima Sunrider. Okay. Yeah. So there is connection. Okay. Yeah. The, but I was getting Vima mixed up with Vodo. Um, uh, I thought this Vima Deboda was a ancestor of the Vodo Siask uh, boss because the names are too similar yet completely not alike whatsoever it's like it's like <laughs> how uh... <laughs> right okay sorry then listeners there, we, we do our <laughs> we do our third jump in the story to republic city which is actually coruscant this was the most uh, confusing jump because i had to flip back and forth between the page going where did we like this who are these people and like, where did the storyline come from? And I think that's I th- maybe where the comic changed from issue one to issue two. Oh, you know what? That's probably exactly it. It was either because I'm like there, like based on the page count of the the full series, it it would make sense that that would be the start of the new issue because it's it's jarring where these people. Yeah, and page twenty of the of what would have been the last issue, we get Ulick saying. Uh, we're going to need help, lots of help. I mean, they don't talk about actually contacting Coruscant, but when we start this issue, they do talk about it. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think this is right where we uh, jump from one to the other. Yeah, so here we are. Are we introduced to these uh, the, these cousins? Are they cousins? Um, you, I think you called them. Yes, they, they do mention. Uh, I don't think they say it at the beginning here, but as it goes. No, it is right in the, the third uh, dialogue box. Uh, Satal Kito and his cousin Alima. Okay, yeah. Youthful heirs to the throne of the Empress Teta system are wide-eyed tourists in the streets of this ancient multi-leveled city. As a way of amusing themselves, the idolent young aristocrats have been dabbling with the lore of magic. Along with their friends, they have formed a secret society they call the Krath. After an evil magician god they learned from fairy tales they learned as children. So they are fooling around with magic they don't quite understand. So is this the this is, can't be the first time we are introduced to the Empress Tita system? No, I want to say that in the the first one that that's where we were at um, when Ulick first gets mentioned that that all kind of hinges in that system. Okay, that's there was I a thought big it was play up to that. Yeah, I thought it was like part of that because obviously we had the Empress Tita system, the Golden Age of the Sith, and the Fall of the Sith, but. That is um, release date after this. 
um, despite right. chronologically being before this. <laughs> right. Yeah, if you were reading these when they came out, placing the timeline of these things does get a little fishy because they jump each other quite a bit as they came out. Like, the, they go from one point in time, then they go into the future a little bit, and then they come back and tell some stories, and then go back to the present. And Yeah, it definitely made it hard. It would easier to come into this grab a timeline and just go from point to point to point oh my <laughs> word yes uh it's it's definitely confusing and then of course you know they're walking around the museum and they're looking for dark artifacts and stuff and they find the amulets and uh alina's like there's power in these things to tell and he's like, yes i wonder if anyone else but us can feel it as he's got his hand held over it you're like oh you know, like these two are definitely, uh, you know, going to cause some trouble. Um, they're the characters that come in new to this that will definitely have a bigger role in later stories as we go. Not huge roles, but they're definitely prominent in the next one. So they end up stealing a book that we, we so we when they're in the museum, we see some random guy in the background pulling a book out of a bookshelf. Then... I guess he leaves the book on the, oh no, he must be putting the book on the bookshelf. And then like we see his back turned and, um, uh, Sadal, uh, then ends up stealing the book, which we don't actually like see him do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely implied because you see Sadal looking at it. The guy's knelt down pulling books out. And then the next image, you see the guy is now at the bookshelf putting one of the books he pulled out in, and Sato's already walking away with the book. <laughs> like, yeah, that was quick. <laughs> yeah, so they, they, they grab this book that is rife with Sith language, but they can't read it. And so they just happen to be listening to the news <laughs> about um, Andoran's uh, siege going on. And so they're like, we will go there. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to unlock the secrets of this book. Um, what I thought was cool about the book, though, as it goes on, like the guys that get a hold of it on Onderon are like, hey, we need to copy this. Oh, that's a, <laughs> like, we need to duplicate this as quick as possible. Of everything in this story, the book is what I'm most interested in. Because we don't find out anything about what's actually in it. But it's like mm. a dark side um, Sith ancient book like i want to know what i want to know what that's all about really that was a missed opportunity by uh uh beck and meyer when they did the book of sith like this should have been the book that was in the holocron <laughs> oh yeah you're right or even better just had the, you know like the first six pages and have it in the back of the book and be like these were copied of a book <laughs> you're like oh it's from the story oh but it was copied by omen's man that, that would be yeah, but he didn't get all the way through no. it. Like the Jedi came, and yeah, that would have been cool. That that would have been cool. All right, so the cousins travel to Onderon in their shiny gold ship. Uh, <laughs> God, I hate this thing. Um, right, and this is where it's about to get artistically very busy. At least on page thirty-four and thirty-five, when that ship comes crashing in the subsequent battle that's happening around it, there is so much going on. It's hard to tell any depth. Even right before that, when the ship is like crashing and you have the uh, the rocket jumpers coming in, I I didn't even realize mm -hmm. the ship was in that shot for like the first like like the first three times I flipped by it trying to figure out what was going on. Oh, yeah, 
because they have an explosion yep. that's the same color as the ship right behind the ship. And so it's like, wait, where's the, this? Oh, that there's the ship. And, and then the next panel, the ship's half blown apart, but it's in front of a ship that's slightly different color. <laughs> like, oh, my word. See, and, and you're so right, because that explosion being the same color, that panel, I think, is probably the best illustration of the ship. But that explosion, like you said, it, it it makes you think that it goes up so much more. But if you take that explosion out, that's hands down the best image you are going to get of that ship from all the panels we've been shown. It actually looks like a ship in that panel as it's you see the swooping down effect definitely helps you tell which end is up. It almost has a boat look to it. Yes. Like it's missing the bow of the boat and, and like right in the center where, you know, the mast would be. But the back almost has like a king's cabin to it kind of thing. Yes, definitely. But it definitely throws off when the ship comes down on page 34. You're looking at the top of the ship. Like it is, you're right. It's nose diving at that point. And, and that's really hard to tell. I, but the problem is, is like not, not only is it nose diving, but they're saying it's a belly, it grinds belly down. Like, yeah. No, that's mm. clearly it like crunched the front of the ship. Because <laughs> the yeah. the little view screen, where um, viewport which is almost touching the ground, um, is supposed to be on the top of the ship. Yeah, that's quite a that's quite a belly that's been ground yeah. off. Like, <laughs> hope nobody was alive down there. They ain't anymore. Um, and then the next panel, on the, as we're watching the battle go on, like the, the Wolverine looking dude in the, the center of that thing. The next panel is there's so much going on, incomprehensible. Yeah. I didn't realize those were soldiers on the ship. I thought they were like grenades or something at first. They're little. I thought they were they're pastries. Little, like, uh, special beret hats. <laughs> they're <laughs> pastries. They're, they're little green pastries with a red uh, fruit filling. Oh, they do. They're like we're bringing donuts to war. <laughs> <laughs> and then the because, guy, like right between the those two the... groups, there's like these bags of of like hay or something. So I. I totally thought that that's what those people were. I didn't even catch they were people until just now. Well, the guy with the red mask is just yelling. He's like, come and get them, guys. Breakfast is here. <laughs> Are you not entertained? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is good. That is good. Why are people um, listening to this podcast still? I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> This is you know, we are and, nitpicking this thing to death. <laughs> yes, the, the the thing we we jump past in our nitpicks though is as the five Jedi are running across the field here. We talked about a pre-show. All the Jedi and Ossus that heard about it all volunteered to come and help, but for some oh, yeah. reason, whoever was in charge was like, "We're only going to take five of you, and one of you five is going to be our most least experienced." <laughs> yeah, the entire. Here, the entire assembly volunteers for the assignment. The entire assembly, of which pictured here, is probably at least 30 people. But only five Jedi are chosen. Mm-hmm. The This is like the last story when Arca sent all the Padawans but didn't bother to go himself. <laughs> yeah. Dace Shinoab Kulu, who we were introduced before, was the blind Jedi um, who had the broken crystal. Um, yeah, the Murillin, right? I don't know if she was called a Murillin or something else. They, I believe they call her that in the third time we see her when she's in the middle of the fight and she's got her traditional uh, gear on. Oh, I thought that was somebody different. Okay, I yeah. Um, Quirrell Talk, 
who I believe is the dinosaur-looking guy. He's also a prince. Yes. I didn't catch that until this last reading. I'm like, yes, I, ca- oh, I caught that that's too. Kind of cool. Kith Kark, who is, mm-hmm. um, oh, we know uh, what species we uh, from a New Hope. I can't remember with the two short horns. Oh, a godel. Yeah, go- I, I believe he's a godel. He looks weird for a godel, yeah. but I, I believe he is one. And Nomi Sunrider. Who showed up yesterday, and we're going to send her into battle because she's kind of annoying us. Uh, right? <laughs> <like>, why? <laughs> they are using some cool new techniques, but we're not told a lot about them. Uh, it says there's no time to ask how brave Jedi Knights allowed themselves to become trapped in the uh, Forest Citadel. There's only work to be done. And it shows the four of them are, uh, running. Well, there's only four of them in this image anyway. Yep. It says, uh, using the force as a war shield and battle techniques perfected over many centuries, the audacious Jedi charge straight into the ranks of their numerous adversaries. And, like, they don't give you details about what the war shield is, but when the Godel guy dies, he, like, the last thing he says, my force shield, vanish, master, help me. I mean, it kind of reminds me of a sense of when we got the later books with Darth Bane and Bane was talking about using force protections. I kind of felt like that was what Bane was using as one of these force shields. Oh, okay. They don't give us anything aside from the name of it. And then when it drops, the guy dies. So it's like you just kind of have to go with, okay, it's it's got to be the force. It's got to be shield. And then as soon as it drops. But in the Bane books, it was like a protection ward that they put around themselves that stopped them from being affected by, like, force chokes or force lightning or a force push or force pull. Like, that would get stripped before it would affect them. Um, so that's kind of like, when I was rereading it, that's kind of where my brain went. But it would have been nice if they would have, like, put a little narration bubble in and told us what that was, like they did when they told us what the Jedi meditation was. Yeah. Yeah, and so the, the the reason that Nomi Sunrider probably was brought was for her um, battle meditation skills, which they yeah. specifically called out. Um, although, yeah, she even has a, a problem with it where she's like in the middle of it. She's like, "That's strange. How can it be? An energy field is blocking my Jedi battle meditation." I'm like, oh, so, an energy, huh? Yeah. So the um, the blind Je- Jedi says is a uh, Mira Luca. Not Mary Allen. I don't know if they um, changed the species or is it just supposed to be a different species. Mm, interesting. Probably a, a shifting of the way they're calling them, maybe. Maybe. Or maybe they're like the Vulcans and the Romulans. and <laughs> Some of them move to another planet and that's how we get the other name. <laughs> Perhaps. But then they move back and they all get along. Right? Harmony. <laughs> And that this, you know, as we go forward, whatever those hay bale things were, Naomi's by them when all of the, the stuff happening to her head is going on. Yeah. <laughs> like I, they don't really tell us what that is, but I'm like, hey, I remember that from a few panels back. <laughs> we also get the reference to the fact that the Jedi in the temple weren't fighting and they finally come out. And uh, the one guy's like, you look, what's the matter with you guys? Why weren't you fighting? He's like, the, the dark side, it, it's eating away at our life force. Sith magic is at work. And, like, life force. Like, that's that sounds like it's killing them. But they were, they were in there for months, I think. Mm-hmm. Which would explain the greenness, I guess. Yeah, because he said that somewhere that they've been, 
Um, they've been on the planet for yeah, months. Yeah, no, it's, it's the next narrative after that next panel. He says, for months, Omnin's oppressive Sith magic has affected the will of Arca's Jedi peacekeepers. Now, the balance has shifted. Yeah, like, the the time... I don't know if their time jumps or time like extensions in these stories are so hard to keep track of. Like what is going on when and how long is it taking to do anything? Right. A quick little, you know, three weeks later or something would have helped. <laughs> yeah. Cause it even like uh Nomi Sunrider, a Jedi only a few short months. So she's definitely, um, it's been a few months since the, I guess the previous, arc um which was listed as coming out um in a previous year uh, according to their internal timeline so it's they're not terribly consistent even in their own uh uh listings here right we also this is when we see we don't know it at first it's said in the dialogue king omnin is attacking uh nami sunrider you know she her battle meditation she's being affected she knows something's coming in way but this is when the attack becomes directed specifically at her uh as the battle rages the jedi get the upper hand but nomi sunrider finds herself under focused attack from the very presence that has crippled the spirits of Ulick and the others with her growing sensitivity of the inner workings of the force it is almost more than she can handle i i see you I know what you are. Something evil is watching her and pressing dark intentions against her. The confrontation in the force is decisive. Nomi's adversary, Nomi's adversary strikes with a serpent swiftness and she like falls off the, the ledge she's on. She's like, ah, she falls down and you look at that time comes over and he's like, I see no wounds. What hit you? I'm, I'm all right. Someone very powerful lunged at me through the force. When I tried to meditate the fight, I saw him an emancipated man on a metal armature. That'll be King Omen. Like, you know, so Omen's definitely, you know, the threat right now. Um, the question is, you know, we know that when she was knocked down, is she laying on living <laughs> people or are those bodies? Because there is at least like five <laughs> bodies that she is laying on. I didn't realize that that isn't a pillow behind her, but a face. <laughs> Until you said that, like, like oh. she's got the, her knee on somebody, her other leg on two other guys, like her weirdly bent arm is on another face like these i think they're all dead bodies that she fell on they, they are yeah because if you look when she's touching the bags of grain and the people with the weird hats they're already laying down oh you're right and that's yeah. who she falls on there's a couple of those hats in the pile yeah the, dang that's gruesome <laughs> the jelly donut hats <laughs> yeah uh, and then that's when we go back to the cousins. Um, you know, they're on they're on the ground now. They're out trying to find people to help them with the book. Um, so it's like even as Queldroma speaks, Satalkito and Alima have been showing their Sith book around the cafes of Isis. Yes, my master can help you unlock the secrets of this strange book, but you took a great risk coming to Onderon at this time like this. We had to come. It is very important to us. Like, <laughs> oh, these kids have no clue what they're messing oh, with. My favorite is when they, they are introduced to uh, King Omen, and he says, They say you have found Sith treasures. What gift have you brought me? Um, So, dude, I didn't bring you a gift. <laughs> like, 
Uh, we're going to keep the book, if that's cool. Like, you can copy it, but it's I'm not giving it to you. <laughs> right? Do you think that uh, the, the male cousin, Satal, you think he might have some good in him? Because when he's standing there with him, he's like, Alima, I suddenly feel ill. Like I wondered, I was under the impression that it was only the light siders that were getting the sick feeling. I think she doesn't get it. Well, I wonder if, but well, if you look, he suddenly feels ill. He is covered in green. She is not. You good point because King Almond, a couple scenes before that, actually has that same green as he's talking to him, and he says, "Ah, skeptical youth, trust me, because I sense a capacity for knowledge in you." So yeah, he's definitely the next panel. He's still pointing his hand at him. So yeah, he's definitely working his magic on him. Okay. So that's I think that's the ill is just where is the energy being directed? So I kind of think that that implies that it's not the planet that's infused with the dark side as much as Almond is taking that infusion and directing it at the force users. You know, because we saw yeah. Arca, we saw the Jedi on the planet, they're all being affected and now we're seeing it's directly caused by Almond. Okay. That makes sense. So I find this Interesting, because this led to um, a whole host of new storylines. Is when Omen gives um, Satel, Satel, I don't, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, gives him the uh, ancient Sith amulet and says, "This will help you to read um, the the Sith text." But it is reminiscent of the. Um, the what was the vector storyline? Yeah, um, the the Harkness's uh, amulet. Yes. So I was trying to look up uh, the the amulet that was from that because I remember it was one of the Sith the Lords Mur amulet, that, wasn't it? Muir, yeah, Muir amulet. Mm-hmm. So I thought I thought that was super interesting that they basically seems like they got the Muir talisman. Got the uh, idea for the mirror talisman directly from this because the design, although not exactly the same, um, kind of harkens very similar. Right. Well, I you know thinking about this with with Cannon's Rise of Skywalker, you know, and they're doing all the MacGuffins to try to find the old you know the Death Star and find the the, the Wayseeker or whatever it was that that took them to uh, where Palpatine was. Um, if they'd have had just like a Sith amulet that they could put on and then suddenly read all the things, they wouldn't need 3PO to translate. Like, <laughs> it would have been a cool way to go about it. <laughs> that would have been. Yeah. And then we could have um, done away with that random wiping of 3PO where he says goodbye and then he comes back later and it's yeah weird. Mm-hmm. We we get <laughs> our, uh, our first uh, canon nudity. <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> Uh, Arca is completely stripped naked, hanging on, like, I don't know if he's, like, on the device or if the device is creating a force field to hold. He's in the air, and there's a black triangle behind him with green wrapping around his body, and he's dangling from gravity. But Almond is, like, my most prized possession, a Jedi master. His name is Arca. He's quite alive, but suffering mightily under the crushing power of the darks. My goal is distinguish the light utterly and then raise him up again as a dark Jedi. And I'm just like, dude, that's a story I want to see more of. Like, go back and, and show me the Sith doing that to other Jedi. Like, that would be 
creepy. Uh, kind of like how the Reavers uh, did their thing in Serenity. Like, you know, you torture them enough that you go insane and then you become a Reaver. Like, I kind of like to see Jedi doing that to each other. Like, they all start turning dark and twisting and corrupting each other. I'm sorry. I'm stuck under voice acting where that sounded like um, <laughs> Iago from Aladdin Gilbert Gottfried trying to be a Sith Lord. <laughs> uh, I know I can't commit to one style of voice for these guys. <laughs> Master, his name's Arkham. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, Ark is like putting up a fight. Omen, listen, do you hear them? What is it, Arka, my friend? Are you ready to... Dis- are you ready so soon to join the dark side? Listen, do you hear it? My Jedi Knights are with us. <laughs> so we're hearing them in the forest, or is this just a skirmish outside the doors? <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's literally hearing them outside. Like it's like I they're they're right behind you. I can see them. <laughs> they, like in the next panel, they all come flooding through the door. <laughs> right. It, I was thinking about the fact of uh, K. You know, we saw him in the last story. He loses his arm. He replaces it with the robotic arm that he gets. He had an affinity for robot parts. But when he loses his arm again, it's the robotic one. And the kind of panic he has makes me wonder, like, did he make it so he could feel the arm? (laughs) Because he's acting like he just lost his flesh and blood one until his brother's like, are you okay? Oh, no, it's just my robot one. Like, Then why were you freaking out? That's a a, my arm. (laughs) Um. Oh, never mind. It, I'm, it, it, it didn't hurt at all. I didn't even realize it. Right. He's all panicking until his brother's like, hold to the light. I am. I was, it's just my droid arm, bro. I'm just, I, I exaggerate for effect. <laughs> so we have, we have brought all the Jedi in to Omen to save Arca. And one of the greatest scenes ever of all Star Wars is where... Um, Ulick cuts the metal armature <laughs> and um, King Omen collapses down like, quote, an Arcanian jellyfish because <laughs> he, he doesn't have any armature left right. <laughs> and he becomes a pile of goo. <laughs> if only we knew this is how you had to defeat Palpatine. <laughs> we also get uh, again of the the dialogue bubbles for Ulick as he's yelling at Almond. What have you done with Master Arca? He's got that red again, and, and I see what you're saying too. What the yellow one? Because he's like, it's time to put an end to you. It's like it's almost like the Force is like, you know, you're right. You're just doing it for the wrong reasons. So we're going to give you a yellow here, not a green light, not quite a red light. <laughs> yeah, that's a. It's a. It's. Getting to the red side, but you're not there at this time. Right. Oh, man. Yeah, I do like the Arcanian jellyfish. Now, when the Sith... There I go again. When the Dark Jedi Force Ghost comes back, this time, though, he's got the aura. Um, There's definitely the aura around him that was missing before. He's not in armor, either. Like, he's in a cloak. You're right. Right. His outfit is completely changed because, like, when we first saw him, it was like, like Starscream. He had an armor to him. Here, we don't see his body at all. Yeah. Um, he has he has it's more of a real face and like a like a helmet or not even a helmet, like a head like 
thing on his uh, crown sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, like a, a cloak over his head and one arm. Yeah. And, oh, man, he's like the power player, too. Because, like, he starts, you know, the guy, the one guy's dead, I believe, as he was transcribing the Book of Sith. Didn't get that far. Yeah, that's what it looked like. He looked definitely dead. It would have been a great thing to have taken those little pages and put it in there. But he goes, uh, Satel, Alima, I am Nad. You may keep the book and the talisman. Both rightfully belong to you, as do these swords of the Sith. King Omen will no longer need them. And he was like, it shows his hand reaching out, and these swords are just there, I guess. Um, Omen was right. But they're not on anything in the picture. They are literally just swords in a white background. Right. <laughs> it's like, right. where are the, but where are the swords? Oh, they're just, they're there. Right. Decorative kind of lizard heads where the tongue coming out of their mouth is the steel. Um, they're not lightsaber swords. These are old Sith alchemy type swords, which is cool. I like the, the idea of that. Um, Omen was right. You are the future of my work. Now leave. This passage will bring you to the surface. Then in a flash of blue fire, which we don't see, Nat appears at the side of the fallen king. And No, no. keep in mind, people listening to this, that's the actual text in the story. It says, quote, then in a flash of blue fire. Yeah. <laughs> like he made it sound like that's what was happening in the image. Yeah, I mean, and you almost get the sense that that's supposed to be what's around him is fire, maybe, but it's definitely not blue. Um, Amun. You are still working your relentless spells? Don't you understand? Let these young Jedi go. They don't belong to you. It's your time to die. And Almond's like, never, ever. They belong to the dark side. And I think this was really cool. The spirit reaches down and puts his hand on his face and says, I'm sorry, Almond. You don't belong to the dark or side. They don't, yeah. they don't belong. I'm sorry, Almond. They don't belong to the dark side, but you do. And he's like, ah! And we don't see what else happens to him, but I kind of like the implied knowledge that maybe he just absorbed him. <laughs> Whatever he did, <laughs> dude is dead. And he goes, well, maybe one or two belong to the dark side. Greetings, Arca. Has King Almond's death freed you? And of course, Eulix still got that right. Master! Today... The Jedi Knights have triumphed over the dark side. Good work, Ulick. And then he turns uh, to the spirit. The dark, the dark side guy is right in front of you. Like it's like we have triumphed over the dark side. Don't just ignore, ignore him standing next to the door. Don't uh, d- do not look at him. We he, have triumphed. He turns <laughs> and he raises his arms, and I think that they're an indicator of the next panel that comes. Because I'm kind of like, I, I don't quite understand that one. But he goes, uh, now all that remains is to deal with you, is to deal with this rogue spirit. And he goes, the, the spirit goes, you delude yourself, old man. The Jedi have not won today, as you will one day learn. The Jedi have lost. And there's, like, you see his spirit. And from the panel before, there's like these weird green lines. Some are darker than the others. And then in this, it's kind of like his spirit is like overlapped with... Both colors. I don't know what the hell is going on there. Like I was wondering the same thing because it's like you're looking at Freed and Ned, who I'm assuming we're looking at Freed and Ned, who is not gold anymore. He is clearly yellow with the green stripes across him, but like you see, like white teeth. Like it's completely different drawing. 
Right. I, I, I don't know like who that character is supposed to be because it doesn't look like Fried and Ned, but the words are coming out of his mouth as if it was. Right. And they don't and the narration in those two panels doesn't give us anything. And the next panel gives us the only thing you can infer from. And it kind of is under the impression that, you know, maybe it's not even a Sith spirit at all or a dark Jedi spirit, but just a uh, clandestine power. Because he, I mean, this is where he disappears. We don't see him disappear or anything. The last thing he says is the Jedi have lost. And then we go to another scene and it says, with King Almond dead and his clandestine power dispersed, Republic forces quickly restore order to Onderon. Huh. So from here, everything proceeds as it should. The corpses of the Queen and um, Frieda Ned and maybe King Omen. Yep. I don't know. No, no, he was uh, definitely put on. They, they mentioned it. Okay, all, th- yeah. all three of them. The sarcophagi of Frieda Ned, Queen Andama, are once again brought to the spaceport. King Omen is with them. Okay, yeah, so all three of them are brought to the um, beautiful ziggurat that they have built for these evil people <laughs> Dude, this, like, well fortified even holy crap <laughs> yeah, you, got, you got spikes and guns and it's like you, know, you got these large funeral pyre flames like an a energy great... fence on the outside of it even <laughs> yeah i th- i think i don't think that's an energy fence i think that's the planet no, I'm, I'm talking about the little uh, the poles with the little white balls with little balls on top of those. I feel like those would be like an energy field or, or like oh, a Star oh, Wars equivalent of electric barbed wire. <laughs> yeah, well, the, yeah, that's in front of the giant pit. Yeah. Um, a great tomb has been built on barbarous duxin designed to withstand the ravages of time. This is so we can deal with this crap sometime in the future. <laughs> right? Yep. There, the royal remains will be held secure until they finally returned to dust. It's been, what, 400 years? I don't think they're turning to dust. Right. And and now, all of a sudden, other Jedi show up. Because, you know, they couldn't come before when it was helpful. <laughs> uh, but we get the end dialogue. Uh, Ulex talking to Naomi and, uh, and Arca. Master Arca. What did Frieda Nod mean when he said the Jedi have lost? Nod spoke of an ancient Sith foretelling that the Dark Lords will come again. I heard similar stories from the Jedi Holocron. These prophecies chill my blood. There may be something to them, but the future depends on us. We Jedi must cling to the light. The light is our strength and our ally. With the light of the Force, the Jedi will stand forever. Remember, Ulick. <laughs> Uh, this just cracks me up. Where there is light, there can be no darkness. And then it goes, no, that's <laughs> <laughs> not how light works, right? Ever like general, that's not how light works, <laughs> right? Is, isn't one of the the sayings that uh, in the brightest light you have the darkest shadows? <laughs> yes, <laughs> like dude. I mean, in a sense, that was Palpatine. He was the dark shadow in a kingdom of light. <laughs> And then, of course, our last narration. Will the Sith prophecies come true? Only time will tell. And the tales of the Jedi yet to be told. Dun, dun, dun. So the story's over. We have no more stories. Until <laughs> Dark Lords of the Sith. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. So uh, Nat had said, you know, that the Jedi lost and stuff and mentioned their return. It made me think, you know, we see something similar to this in, in Legends when we see, uh, you know, Legacy and we see Crate come back and he has the one Sith. But how cool would it be to eventually do something similar like that? Instead of the Vong, we see another group of Sith come back and Ray's order has to stand up against them like Luke's did to the Vong. Like, I, I would be down for that. I know some people hate to see the Sith come back, but I, I think it'd be kind of refreshing. I like I I liked the Sith. I like the the constant battle that they aren't ever really gone. That their teachings, like even if you defeat them, their teachings can still hang around and um, kind of return. That's essentially what we have here. Is that the Sith have long been dead, but what keeps going? It's their teachings that keep going. Is the reason that they come back. Mm-hmm. Because there's always evil out there. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk covers. Uh, let's see. We've got uh, the trade paperback cover, which just says the Freedom Nod Uprising. Um, that's actually kind of a beautiful one. We get uh, what almost looks like the tower from Tatooine that we see in the last episode of Boba Fett behind him. Uh, I'm assuming this must be either the tomb that they go to or the tomb that they came from. But we see the Jedi standing up against the Natus. Uh, we see Ulick, we see Kay, we see Tot, and we see Nomi. Even though That's also the cover from the second issue. Is that the cover from the... Excellent. Two birds, one stone. Um, I, I like the, the art on that one. That one looks pretty cool, man. Like, I'm, I'm totally 100% down. Digging it. <laughs> And at being the second one, our first one is also the cover of the hardcover of the 30th issue of the Dark Horse series, um, where we get Warbnall. Yeah, I was, gonna say, I was like, yeah, we we don't know who he is on the cover. It looks cool. A lot of people think it's Free Nod, but no, yeah, it's it's Warbnall. It's Warbnall. <laughs> and his lightsaber hilt doesn't look as long as it is in that one, but I. To me, I like this is the iconic cover. When I think of this story, that's the cover I think of. And of course, clearly it's because that's the first physical copy I got. Uh, <laughs> outside that, actually, it's a really awesome cover. And you're right. I never thought of it that it is not Freed and Ned. And you would think that it would be mm-hmm. um, on the cover of the Freed and Ned Uprising or some rendition of it. And it it's completely not. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, I mean, and it's it's cool looking because it's almost like there's like signs from the Natus held up behind him and like they're all rallying behind him, which I guess is kind of symbolic for the scene in the moment of the battle because he comes charging out of the group. But yeah, it's just got a cool look to it. The Omnibus has a picture, of course, of Naomi Sunrider from her story. Um, so it doesn't really apply to you know what we got here. Any, it doesn't apply to anything in this book. Yeah, you're right. That's actually from the entire last arc from the last omnibus. <laughs> yeah, Whoops. it does show the one from the trade paperback where they're in front of that. Uh, the Jedi are in front of that citadel. Uh, I I don't see the uh, the warp null version at all, which is interesting because I think that's the more um more related to this story issue. Like, not saying like the other one's not related, but the one more tied to the story, right? Uh, because it's uh, on the the cover of the first issue. Right. Um, 
you know, there there is some behind the scenes stuff about this. I guess in the audio version, uh, the cousins when they go to the museum, the way they locate it, they use a location monitor instead of a guidebook, which is what we see in the comics. Um, you know, we were talking about how this was two issues. Collections wise, we had Tales of the Jedi, the Freedom Not Uprising, Tales of the Jedi, the Collection, plus the Freedom Not Uprising, then the 30th edition, and then the Tales. Um, there's actually more collections out there than I thought. Yeah, it was because it was only two issues, you can kind of like fit it in where it needed to go. It being its own trade paperback was the like the worst thing that they could have done. It, it was like the weirdest, um, kind of collection like i rarely ever see collections of just two issues of comics right um so you know let's uh go into our follow-up unless you had anything else story-wise you wanted to hit on before we do that nope okay so should it be brought into canon the deeper side of could it be brought into canon uh followed up with what would need to be changed to be adopted into canon what would we rate it and of course we've already gone over the covers so should it be brought into canon? I kind of feel like it should. Like, I, I feel like there's nothing about this that would conflict. And uh, going right into what would need to be changed, absolutely nothing. Maybe change the, the time frame of it. But otherwise, this would fit in perfectly. Yeah, it's um. so I think we made fun of it a lot. But that's not really like I I kind of enjoyed it. And I think it brings a lot of very interesting things to the story of this time period. Um, I love the talismans. I love, I like Friedenet. And I kind of like um, how he is like this benevolent, like everything he says is like to the Jedi. He's like, I'm not your issue. Like, you don't need to worry about me. And like, clearly he is the issue. <laughs> like, right. But, but, but what's the problem? Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to live my life or not life, live my death here. You know, getting back to your earlier question about why he was a dark Jedi and not considered a Sith Lord almost makes you wonder if it was propaganda and dogma of the Jedi. You know, we're just going to call him a dark Jedi because that way it'll help further the knowledge that the Sith have been defeated. When in reality, this guy is is every bit as Sith Lord as every Sith that came before him and after him. Uh, I mean, yeah, exactly. He's teaching people ways of the dark side. He's teaching them specifically Sith ways like. I think that there was a propaganda thing. I think that the, the answer there has got to be that they were trying to cover it up. You know, one yeah. of their own gone dark. He, as we later learn, is responsible for waves of dark siders and eventually a resurgence of dark lords. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a cover up on their end. Yeah, I, well, you, everything kicks off from here. Like if uh, f- um, from Freed and Ned, we eventually get Palpatine. It's almost like a straight shot. Yep, yep. And so, like, um, yeah, I think I think you're right. This definitely could be brought into canon. I, I don't see any issues with it. I thought at first, like thinking about the story, I thought it was like kind of a nothing happened story. They're trying to get the the bodies um, to the tomb at the end, beginning of the story. At the end of the story, they get the bodies to the tomb. Um, but we King Omen dies through the process of this. We freed Nad. Basically, we learn that. Um, He's still out there and influencing everybody. And we get the continual um, dark side weight on Ulick Keldroma, which is going to turn into a major plot point in upcoming stories. So I think, um, 
like thinking of how important this series is, I think this is, series is very important for what's coming up in the future, uh, just based on what is Ulick doing? Because previously when we saw Ulick, he was this happy-go-lucky guy. Um, nothing can bring him down. Later when we see him, things are not quite as good. So how did we get from A to B? It's like, well, it's this series. Mm. And you're on to something. I mean, I, I think influences are the key of this story. Um, you know, you, you see the planet influencing the Jedi. We find out that the planet's being influenced by Almond. We see Almond being influenced by the Sith spirit. We see the Jedi that have been being influenced by all these things be influenced by other Jedi showing up, bringing them back to the light, back into the fight, back into the fold. Um, you know, we've got to remove the sarcophagus because the influence it's having on the planet. And that's kind of like the untold part of the story. You know, I mean, we, we immediately criticize Arca for the way he's looking at light and dark because, you know, we know that there's a balance here. You can't just throw out the dark side and just plunge everything into lightness. That's that's not going to work. Um, and yet we're seeing all these different influences and stuff just there. You know, it's not brought up too much in the narrative. It's not brought up too much in the dialogue outside of they're being infected by it and we're witnessing that. But as we get into the next arc, we're really going to see how those influences can change people a lot more than what we're seeing so far. Right now, it's just slowly influencing them. We're about to watch it change them. In every sense of the word. Mm -hmm. So, with this being one that's kind of like uh, in the middle of a bigger story, this next one is going to be kind of harder for me. How would you rate it? Um, I'm going to give it a solid five. I, I think it's... it's it, it doesn't have a lot going against it. doesn't have a lot going for it. It's a good story in the aspect that it's building off of things. It's setting a lot of things in motion. If I take it as a whole just by itself, I feel like it doesn't gain as much as it does as part of the collective legend story. Um, so I, I think I, I'm not going to penalize it too much, but I'm also not going to reward it too much. and I'm just going to put it right in the solid five for me. I think so. Seven is average for my scoring for people who don't know. Um, that's the educator in me where C is 70. And so I, th I, it is on the lower end. The artwork's um, not the best. The storyline does hinge entirely on us knowing what previous stories are. There's a lot of just, um, really stupid stuff in this story but it's also a lot of like a lot of fun stuff so it does kind of like fall down the middle um i'm gonna put it on the lower end probably like a six and a half nice i think that that's yeah that's that's where i feel it, it's it's a little less than average mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but i think it's important for where we're going mm -hmm. and if you don't know where we're going I would say the next arc is probably one of the more influential stories for Jedi and possibly for Sith as we go forward in legend stories down the road. Um, you know, when you're reading the Jedi Academy trilogy, characters from the next arc are going to be integral to the plot of that story. And, you know, it's just one of those really cool tie-ins that they were able to bring this era to Luke Skywalker in a sense. And, uh, you know, well, one of my favorites. Well, one of the most important characters in the EU, Exar Kun. Mm -hmm. um, we get to see 
his earliest stories. I, I don't think he's come in yet, right? I, 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 don't, I don't remember seeing him. Nope. Yeah, we're about to. I, I think the only connection we have so far for him is the fact that his master has shown up, and that was the one that was training them how to build the lightsabers. Um, and we don't know that yet. We'll find that out in the next issue. They'll they'll bring up that he was his apprentice, and yeah, it's yeah, great story. I'm looking forward to that one. I can't wait till we get to it. Um, definitely like the fact that this one leads us towards that when we get Arcus, you know, talk about the prophecies of the Sith returning. You know, it's the setup for that. And, you know, it's definitely one of my favorite stories, the next one we're going to get to. And I think that this one definitely sets us up in the right way. Yeah, it's uh, funny because, um, like, with this two-issue arc, the next um, the next series is a six-issue arc. And the one after that is also a six-issue arc. Actually, the next one is a seven-issue arc, if you count issue zero. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final, then we have the final arc. So we got three more arcs left to go. And the final one's a five issue arc. And so like this two issue arc is really like with everything being five or six issues per arc, it's really out of place too. I mean, for being only two issues, I I do kind of feel like they put a lot into those two issues because you don't have a lot of room to play with two issues. And I feel like we got a decent enough story out of this. Yeah, no, it was a, it was worth the hassle of trying to find. I don't know about that. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, oldie but a goodie. All right. Well, Jim, unless you have anything else, I think we're good to move into closing. Yep, I'm good. Excellent. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher as well as Spotify and even on iTunes. And as always, we encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. Help our show grow. Help us get out there to other fans. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films or just type in Stars Beyond the Films in your search box. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's the best way to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. If you guys have any Star Wars questions, Legends questions, or you want to comment about a past episode fire off you can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com and speaking of past episodes you can find all of our episodes at www.starwarsreport.com slash beyond the films now lastly before we go we wanted to mention you our sponsors audible if you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport you get a free trial run of audible to see what it's all about our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore Star Wars Universe, The Expanded Universe, Harry Potter, Halo, any other genre, all without the risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year, with zero questions asked. So, in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Jim and Starscream. <laughs> Saying, thanks for listening and may the force be with you. Don't quote us the odds. 
that anybody who's Sith can just go by Jedi and nobody will know. <laughs> what are the or senator that we're going to get red Sith ghosts eventually? <laughs> Nothing. No. Nil. Not happening. <laughs> no. No. Nile. No. Nil. He's not Sith. <laughs> Heck, he was barely a person. <laughs> he, he, I'm still not entirely sure he wasn't into Sith robot. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, man. 